Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Cole Spivak, and this is episode 14. Today I am delighted to welcome Jemima Cotrington as my guest. As somebody who's lived on both sides of the pond, Jemima has lots to say about travel, culture, and greenskeeping. So without further ado, Jemima Codrington. Can you give me a too long, didn't read version of your history? Um, sure. Well, I was born in London. I was born in the UK um, and then moved over. My family came over when I was 13. Um, so I did all my high school and university here, um, started job uh, my jobs here, my career here. Um, and then when I was 24, 25, moved um, back to the UK. I moved to Edinburgh. I was living in Scotland. Um, I was freelancing there and then moved into financial services. Um, and then, yeah, I guess towards the end of last year, probably into the last summer, end of last year, I was starting to think, um, you know, what was the next, you know, almost like the seven year itch, you know, what was the next thing? Where was I going to go? What was the next challenge? Um, wanted to live in London. I've never lived in London as an adult. So I thought that would be a really cool city. I've spent so much time there. Absolutely love it. Um, then I came home for Christmas and thought, oh, Toronto has changed quite a bit and my family is still here and, you know, do I want to maybe come back and, and give this another go? Um, and then when things started to get bad at the beginning of the year, and obviously the UK has been hit, um, you know, fairly hard, uh, I think coming home just kind of made made the more sense of the two. I mean, London to be avoided at all costs, definitely not a place you want to pack up and move to in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so, yeah, we, um, what would that have been? Mum flew, my mum came over and took my dog in March. So they went over first. And then, of course, you know, we're watching the news every single day. You know, we get these um, uh, briefings, I suppose, from the Prime Minister every day at five and just watching each one, just thinking, is this the day that they're going to ground planes? Is this the day that they're going to shut down airports? Is this the day that I'm not going to be able to get home? Uh, so it was a really horrible, stressful, weird time. And um, especially because my dog had already gone. I was just in the flat by myself. I didn't have, you know, roommates or partners or anything like that. So literally was just sat watching TV each day, just being like, I just can't believe what I'm watching. It's something out of a horror film. Um, and we did manage to get a flight. We managed to, to, to get one out eventually. And uh, yeah, so I think we booked it on the Saturday. I was flying out the following Saturday. So seven years of life were packed up in seven days. Didn't get to have any leaving parties, see anybody, you know, it's a very, you know, shuffling off into an airport taxi at seven o'clock in the morning and just disappearing is a really strange way to leave a life that you've built. But um, yeah, here we are. So I arrived and that so that was um, beginning of April. So I've been back in, I'm staying at the hotel of mum and dad at the moment, just uh, <laughs> just while getting myself reorganised. And yeah, just uh, big, yeah, big life change, definitely. But it's it's starting to feel, everything is starting to feel a bit more normal, right? Well, not normal but it's certainly a lot better than it was so yeah it's been an interesting interesting six months that's for sure when i read your name i had the expectation that you would be english yes yeah <laughs> and i'm pleasantly surprised with that <laughs> doesn't, doesn't get much more english than jemima codrington to be honest <laughs> and what you said is very poetic seven years of history you packed up in seven days mm. what a, that's quite the move yeah, it was sad. Um, I mean, the closest thing I had to a leaving party was um, a couple of friends broke lockdown. 
<laughs> so I don't know if I should be saying on a podcast. But um, yeah, they broke lockdown. They walked down to my place and um, I had fallen asleep in between nap- uh, packing. And they had a speaker playing um, Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. And they had that blasting through the window. And so I woke up you know, from this nap thinking, what is that? Um, and both of them were stood there dancing with it, a couple of bottles of champagne. And, you know, the idea, obviously, you know, don't forget about us when you move being the idea. And yes, yeah, so I opened my window and we were just passing, passing champagne back and forth between, you know, because they had to stay outside. And it was just, yeah, it was absolutely strange, but it was very, very sweet. And that's really, the, you know, I mean, it's, it's an incredible memory. Um, but that's, yeah, that was the only sort of leaving do I had, to be honest, which is sad, but, you know, how, you know, very sweet, very sweet of them at the same time. And you touched briefly on the the jobs that you've had before, but I'd yeah. like to go into that a little bit deeper. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I've got um, marketing communications and I suppose journalist background as well. So when I very first started out here, um, I had a, a sort of entry level job um, at a copywriting agency and then moved to moved downtown and started working in broadsheet press. So I started putting together sections of the National Post and the Toronto Star, um, sort of special interest sections. Um, and then moved into real estate investing. And it was a pub- publishing house that has a couple of magazines and was writing there for a little while. So um, did broadsheet and then trade press. Uh, and then when I moved to the UK, uh, I decided to freelance because I, I brought my dog over with me. So I flew Libby over and I thought it's a bit cruel just to put her through this transatlantic flight. Just like, well, I'm off to work, have fun. You know, I just wanted to sort of be at home, get her settled in, get myself settled in. I thought it would be nice you know, while it's a great way to meet people it is sometimes you just need a bit of a, you know, transition into sort of what, what have I just done type thing. Um, and I think at the time as well, I was also doing some work, uh, freelance work for Canadian clients who didn't, you know, sort of didn't want me to, didn't want me to go into, you know, would you still consider working for us over there? So initially it was, you know, going to be one of these sort of transitory periods. And then I actually really enjoyed it and started to, to do a, you know, a bigger variety of stuff. So, you know, I wrote about wheelchair tennis in The Guardian. I wrote about careers in The Cosmopolitan. I've written, you know, it's sort of all over the place. Um, and one of, the, one of the, the magazines I wrote for was a, a trade pub that was all about sports stadia and amenities, which isn't, you know, you never thought, well, I certainly never thought when I was going to school, I'm going to wake up and write about grass for a living. But it actually did end up being really interesting because you could go, you know, I ended up, I ended up going to, you know, Wimbledon Centre Court and interviewing you know, the head of grounds there and talking about how they prepare the surface for the champs. And you know, I'm a massive tennis fan. So you're just like, I can't believe I'm standing on centre court, you know. Um, yeah, I've been to, to Wembley as well and um, Old Trafford, big, big football, I suppose, soccer fan. So getting to go to, you know, the place where the Rangers are playing, Newcastle, SJP. So, yeah, I got to do a lot of stuff within sports, which is, I'm you know, great for me. So I really enjoyed that as well. Um so I was freelancing and doing contract work and then was headhunted to to join a company called Royal London, which is um, a mutual insurer back in the UK. It's um, yeah, pensions, insurance and investments. So um, quite a quite a natural fit, I think, um, from when I came over here. So, yeah, I did a role um, when I very first joined them and worked on a couple of projects. It's quite actually similar to what to what I've been brought into to Canada Life to do. So, um, yeah, it's quite varied. <laughs> Um, but I think that's, you know, one of the joys of freelancing. I mean, there are so, there are so many highs of freelancing. And there are a lot of lows. It can be incredibly difficult. I remember in 2016, after the Brexit vote came in, um, 
and because I had uh, experience writing about real estate investing here, a lot of the clients I had there were all in property and the housing, you know, everything just stalled as soon as that vote came in because none of us were expecting it re really. Um, and so a lot of work dried up and it was just, it was a very stressful time to be self-employed, to be honest. And of course I had the, we had the Scottish referendum um, not too long before that as well. So I have never voted so much in my life as I have done in the past seven years of the UK between all the general elections and then two massive referendums. It's been a lot. But um, yeah, there's like I said, there's there's credibly high highs and then, you know, lows. But uh, yeah, it was it was an experience. That's for sure. Um, believe it or not, I like to talk about grass. Um, <laughs> so what's the most interesting thing you learn when you're researching the, the groundskeeping articles? I think just how much science is involved now. I think there really is like this old, you know, this sort of um, image in someone's head of like one man and his mower, like a groundsman willy type figure who just, you know, comes along and cuts out at the end when you don't actually think about, you know, especially some of these massive stadiums that are, you've got an Ed Sheeran concert the next day and then they've got, you know, a semi-final of something the following day. And then, you know, you need to turn that pitch around. Um, all of the sort of hybrid technology that goes on underneath the pitch, you know, the pitch um, drainage systems and, and heating and, you know, the SGL grow lights, um, all the different chemicals and everything that you need to use. I mean, there is a lot more science, different, you know, grass variety. I didn't know that, you know, different types of grass variety, but you know, there's loads of stuff that goes on. Qualifications you can get, you know, huge educational streams. I think it used to be something that people kind of fell into. You know, if you were a greenkeeper, maybe it's because you had a summer job that turned into an internship that turned into a full-time job and you've just worked there for 30 years. Whereas I think now people are really kind of choosing it as, a, as an occupation and learning a lot more of the science and the tech behind it and the, you know, the horticultural sciences. And, and uh, yeah, I think as well, just how hard of a job it is and how miserable and thankless of a task it is. Um, you know, if you're, if you're taking care of a pitch in a big stadium, everyone's an armchair critic now. Everyone's got Twitter. Everybody can, can, tweet oh I think that pitch looks like this or god you know what this that and the other and it is difficult and there are very high levels of, of mental and wellness and stress and anxiety in the industry as a result which to be fair they have done a good job in the past few years of kind of doing things to correct that but it is a lot you know if you just sort of were, were a chap who was happy cutting grass all of a sudden you've got people you know rounding on you from you know the ethers of the internet it can be quite a bit but then again in the same vein for the, as tough as it is for the big guys it's tough for the smaller guys because everyone's expectations of playing surfaces have, have increased budgets and and uh manpower haven't necessarily increased so you've got you know guys at the upper opposite end of the scale um and then chuck into that as well the whole climate change issue and the fact that weather doesn't behave like it used to therefore grass and playing surfaces don't behave like they used to um there's, there's loads there's loads it's interesting i think one of the other things that you'd mentioned was wheelchair tennis yeah can you give me an idea of how that works you sit in a wheelchair and you play tennis <laughs> all right it's an olympic sport it's a it's a you know championship there is a championship so if you're following the um oh the tennis atp tour there is a there is a corresponding tour for uh wheelchair tennis players um so jordan wiley is uh the, the woman that i interviewed and she's an obe i think now um just won wimbledon wheelchair tennis several times and uh it's incredible because she's, I can't remember what the name of the particular, I want to say brittle bone disease, but I don't, I don't know if that's what the technical term or what you meant to call it, but that's what basically what she's got. She's got an atrophy where her muscles and um, basically all of her bones just used to break, started when she was a child and, you know, a, 
legs just starting to basically break all the time and collapse and um, quickly found herself in a wheelchair. But, you know, people come to it for all different sorts of reasons. Uh, but was interesting when they were restarting the COVID, um, you know, restarted, trying to restart the tour after COVID. They're so they're going to hold the US Open this year at the end of this year. Um, and one of the wheelchair players whose name's, uh, name escapes, I can't remember, tweeted publicly that um, all, the, the, all of the rest of the tournament's going ahead, but the wheelchair tennis isn't. And we weren't consulted about it. No one spoke to us. No one gave us any reason why. We were just told that it was safe for everybody else, but not for us. And it's like, well, just because you're in a wheelchair doesn't necessarily mean that you're also compromised. Do you know that there's all sorts of reasons people can, you know, be in wheelchairs. And so it was, I thought it was quite a discriminatory thing and also quite a grim thing to do without any sort of consultation with the Wheelchair Tennis Association or the players involved. Um, but I think that that's now being sort of relooked at because, you know, it's quite quite a shady decision, I think, <laughs> one that I was quite surprised about. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's again, power of the internet. If you put it out there and let people know that it's happening, um, you know, if we've learned anything from 2020, it's the year of the people, right? People have the power. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens if it does go ahead. I think there's a certain degree of uh, what I would like to call Anglophilia in Western culture. And when I'm talking about Western, I mean, uh, Canadian and, and certainly American as well, where we're like, uh, they use British voices in order to convey certain um, certain like characteristics, certain markers. Like if you look at something like Star Wars, which I, I bring up all the time, yeah. um, all of the Imperial officers are English <laughs> actors, right? So they're, they're utilizing the, uh, the English and, and uh, UK accents in order to, to make a point there, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, what's your take on that? What, what do... Uh, what do Westerners and Canadians and Americans get wrong about uh, about the English? What do you get wrong about us? Um, I think the weather. I think everyone thinks it rains just all the time. Um, I suppose it's climate change for you, but like the, the UK does have some really beautiful weather and some really gorgeous parts of the country as well. Um, it's not all city, you know, city life. There is, you know, stunning rolling English countryside and beautiful summers. Um, so I think people probably yeah just assume that it's miserable wet raining um what else i don't know i think it always used to be that we were sort of you know quite posh and well to do and and um you know very ladylike because that was a lot of the tv that came over um but now that we've had you know the internet and you know spread at you know different types of media and we've got different types of shows people are you know people are aware of like you know, someone asked me, what's up? What's up? Like, all the girls are orange and they've got the big lips and the big lashes. And the, I'm like, Geordie Shaw? They're like, that's the one, Geordie Shaw. I'm like, God, you know about people from Newcastle? Like, it just, it just wasn't the thing, you know? Like, it's a whole different, um, you know, people, I think people are probably becoming more aware of, you know, different parts of the UK, different regions of the UK. You know, a lot of our sort of acting exports, like you bring up, are all sort of, you know, speak Queen's English and all been educated at RADA and all come from London. But, you know, there's a whole, you know, there's so many different types of accents and regions across the UK. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's probably disappearing more, I think, that assumption that everyone's, you know, come from a well-to-do background. Do the English have any misconceptions about the Canadians and the Americans? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, we've had a huge number of thunderstorms here. Like, I can't remember the last time I had a thunderstorm. I can't remember the last time I had a thunderstorm that knocked out my power. Like, that's just not a thing. 
in the UK, whereas here we've had power outages twice, I think. We've had these huge thunderstorms. It's almost a bit like, it reminds us of Caribbean weather we've been having, like these scorching, scorching, scorching hot days and then these massive storms to clear the air. And yeah, I was telling people about that back home and people just said, oh, really? I just thought Canada was under 30 feet of snow the entire time. I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> there are seasons. There are full four seasons. Uh, canoes, there canoes, anybody? Anyone heard of a canoe? Um, yeah, so I think that's probably the biggest one is people just, oh my God, it's roasting there. Like, why do you guys have a pool? Why are you guys going up to a cottage? And I was like, yeah, because it's hot. People want to swim. You know, it's not, a, I think that's probably one of the biggest ones. Um, and then, yes, yeah, some of the stereotypical sort of maple syrup, ice hockey. But, you know, um, again, I think it's going the opposite way as well, right? People are seeing more stuff on, on TV and kind of getting to know more about different places. I mean, these travel shows are amazing. I don't know if you've watched that. Zach Efron one that's on Netflix at the moment everyone's I just I just started watching it actually yeah I mean it's a bit all over the place because a think, little bit yeah the theme of it was meant to be about environmental you know environmentalism and sort of or you know looking at the way the world lives sustainably and then he's off with this mate at a chocolate factory I'm like well what's that got to do with anything do you know what I mean but I think it's it's the, the you know the idea of it I suppose is quite nice and it's just nice to see other countries and how other people live because when are any of us going to be able to do any of that again right like you know I remember leaving the UK and saying oh guys as soon as the borders open up as soon as all this goes back to normal I'll be on the first plane straight back gonna have a massive party blah 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 and then you know you've got this 14-day quarantine imposed and then you know who knows about a second wave we keep hearing all this phrase being bad around second wave and you just think actually that might not be so realistic just to be able to go back and visit as usual like we're not we're not going to be able to travel the way that we used to that's just a, a fact so yeah, I think consuming a lot of this this stuff on watching a lot of travel. We've watched a lot of travel TV. Have you ever um, heard of The Long Way Around? I haven't. It's, it's uh, a documentary. It's a number of years old now. It's Ewan McGregor, from, for, for a, Star Wars, a fellow Star Wars fan. Of course. And um, his friend Charlie Borman, and they take motorcycles, BMWs, around the world. So they go from London to New York, and they go through Europe, and then all throughout Mongolia, through Russia. They ride up the Road of Bones. Um, it's incredible. And then they did a follow-up one called The Long Way Down, where they go from John and Groats, which is the, the most northern part of the UK and Scotland, down to Cape Town and South Africa. So they go through, you know, this entire continent and see all these different cultures and people and landscapes. And um, it's just, it's really, really nice. It's, you know, I, I got quite used to, I suppose, being quite spoiled, being in the UK, just being, you know, should we go to Sweden this weekend? Do you guys fancy France this weekend? You know, you can go and see these different places very quickly without really having to eat up much holiday time. You can just kind of go for a weekend and be back. Um, and like I say, that travel aspect of life is is really up in the balance right now. So I'm having to get it all vicariously through watching Netflix, which is a bit sad. I certainly envy that uh, that ease of travel that Europe presents. Yeah. So everything's like a few hours away. Yeah, and I'm trying to discover more of Ontario it wasn't that wasn't that the slogan for years yours to discover like well yeah. it is summer <laughs> definitely is right <laughs> um so yeah I made a list the, so the idea was at the beginning of lockdown when things were really dire and really miserable that you put one thing a day in your diary or journal or whatever that you're looking forward to doing when lockdown opens up and then that just kind of because I moved here that kind of just grew into um you know things that I'm looking forward to doing just when the you know the province opens up and experiences I can have here. So um I've been trying to tick as many of those off as I can or I've been making plans to tick those off um just to try and see a bit more of the
the province because again I think when I was living here the first time if things are in your backyard you, you sort of tend to take them for granted a little bit or you know get busy with other things and I think you know I, I just absolutely fell in love with Edinburgh the first time I went I went when I was 17 in between uh high school and university 17 yeah yeah that's right um I went during the fringe and absolutely fell in love with it and then when I chose to live there it was like you do just fall in love with the city um and so I suppose I'd like to try and fall in love with Toronto when it opens up and and then you know just the area around it as well and try and just find out all the incredible experiences and things that you can do. I've really only ever lived in London, Ontario, not London, mm. UK, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so I don't have the luxury of, of, as you mentioned, going somewhere on vacation and experiencing it and then choosing to move there and experiencing it in a different way. But can you give me an idea of how that experience uh, changes or how that experience is different from, from being um, kind of an observer visiting Edinburgh to somebody who's living there? Yeah, for being a tourist to a resident. Uh, yeah, I think <clears throat> the first time I went, I went during the Edinburgh Fringe. So that's a month long, it's the biggest arts and cultural festival in the world, happens for the whole month of August. Basically, the city sort of comes to a standstill. Every bar, every pop-up bar, uh, restaurant, courtyard, spare bit of ground is turned into some kind of venue or a beer garden. And uh, there is comedy, there is theatre, there's improv, there's dance, there is... Um, you mean you name it that you've, you've got it you've got um you know people performers from all over the world britain's got a huge comedy scene right massive stand-up comedy massive panel show uh sort of um stand-up comedy circuit so you'll see all of those guys come up there as well and um so we went during festival time for the first time and then when i moved you know the festival only happens for one month of the year you just it was like god it's completely different do you know i mean it's it, it's still very busy it's still a, a major tourist attraction and a big um, you know, one of the coolest cities in Europe, in my opinion. I think it's just awesome. Um, but yeah, it was. You know, you can you can walk around places. You you know, roads aren't shut. You can get into you know bars and places. And, you know, and there there are bars that only exist for certain you know for that month of the year, and then they just disappear. But, I mean, whole big areas that just were there and then they're gone. Um, so I think it was quite cool. And then just sort of, you know getting to know local residents and getting to know places. I mean, and to be fair. I know there are other cities, probably like Toronto is a good example, where there's places that tourists would go, but locals necessarily wouldn't. I think there's a lot more crossover of that in, in Edinburgh. There are places that are perhaps a bit touristy, but they're still a really good place to go. Um, yeah, I think it was, you know, and I always lived north of the city, so right on the North Sea. Um, and so seeing that, that I mean, it's not very far from the centre of town, probably only about 25 minutes, but it's a different Edinburgh, I think, to probably what you, st you know, if you're in town and you're there for the festival, you're not really going to venture out to the seaside. Whereas, you know, I lived right by um, the Royal Yacht Britannia and, you know, I've got a dog and there was just, you know, some beautiful trails just all along the North Sea. You know, you've got that you know, really nice sort of salt sea air, um, little pubs that you can take your dogs into, you know, you can take your dog pretty much everywhere in Edinburgh, which is great. Most of the UK is pretty dog friendly. Um, so, you know, you can just go off for a big, long you know, hour-long walk and then stop in for a pint by the sea at the end of it. So there was a real different side um, to living, I think, further north than if you were right in the city centre. Um, but it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful city. I think if anyone gets the opportunity to go, even if you're just in the UK and you want to tack on a trip from London to 
Edinburgh, I would I would definitely recommend doing it because you can. It is a small city, which is one of the reasons I decided to to eventually move on. But you know, you can get a lot done in a weekend. One of the things that comes to mind when I think about the UK and Scotland specifically is how shockingly green it is. Yes, it is. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so gorgeous. Yeah, the rolling English countryside is wild. And then when you get up to um, Scotland, obviously, you've got, you know, it's much more mountainous a region. Uh, so Edinburgh's got an extinct volcano right in the centre of it, Arthur's Seat, which is just so beautiful, you know, so beautiful. And um, but then from there you go onto the Pennlands and then obviously drive a little bit further up into the Highlands, which are just absolutely stunning. And um, yeah, very... It's, I mean, everything you see in the movies, I don't know if you're like a James Bond fan, but if you've ever seen that episode, you know, that um, scene, sorry, in Skyfall, where they get up to, to Genko and they both get out. To, I mean, that scenery is so real. Like, it's so there. It's it's absolutely incredible. There's no enhancement needed. Um, and I was lucky to travel around a fair old bit. I didn't get up to sort of right the north of Scotland, which I w- would have liked to have done. Um, but, yeah, it's a very it's a very special part of, you know, corner of the world. So just not when rugby's on for an England fan. <laughs> it's not 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 a good place to be if you're an England fan in Scotland. What commonly used word should be discarded, should be put out of use in favor of something more interesting? That's a funny one. Um, do you know, it's not a word, but it's a phrase that I always hear. And it's quite an American one. I don't really hear anybody like you hear like American films a lot. That's on you. And that's on me. That's on you. What's on? Who's who's on what? Like it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. It's just such a weird thing to say. Like, you know, always in all the Avengers movies, they always say, Oh god, that guy's that's on me. I'm like, it doesn't mean anything. I don't know. It just I, every time I hear it, I'm like it just sounds like such an a clunky turn of phrase. Um I don't know. I don't know what I would change it to, but yeah, I always hear that one. I'm like, oh God, it just feels like such a lazy piece of writing if you're a script writer to just chuck that in there. I'm like, come on, these movies make money. I know Avengers movies make money. You guys could pay script writers to come up with something different. So I know that you are a pet parent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am a, a porent. Yeah, a pet parent. That's funny. Uh, yes, I have a beagle, Libby. Libby the beagle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got her when I was 21 and she was eight weeks old. So, I mean, we have grown up together. Um, and she came over with me, like I say, she, so she flew over with me. Um, and she's had a nice little time. She's been to England. She's been to Wales. She's been to Scotland. <laughs> she's been on trains, ferries, planes, automobiles, the works. Um, yeah. And then she, we, like I said, my mum flew her back first, uh, which was, which is a really bizarre experience. So we, we drove down on the Saturday um, and I think her office had moved to home working that week in anticipation of a lockdown. No, I think, sorry, that week, I'm trying to remember it. So we had initially said, so the colours of our brand back home were, were purple and orange. So every team was split into team purple and team orange. And I think the plan was going to be to alternate. So half the team, you know, team purple would come in, team orange, yeah, to, to sort of alternate um, people in the office and kind of, if there were to be an outbreak, kind of contain it, I suppose, a little bit. And I think we'd moved to home working that week um and we drove down on the friday sorry the saturday drove down no drove down on the friday to fly the saturday and got to gatwick airport because there are only a couple of um airports in the uk that you can fly your pets internationally from so we had to get from edinburgh to to gatwick so basically drive the entire length of the country which is far from ideal um 
but we got down there and Gatwick is, you know, major, major, major international hub, huge airports. And it was like a ghost town. It was, it was eerie. Um, they turned off the heat in there. I didn't realize the airports had, I guess, heat on, but they turned it off to, to save money because there were less people in the building. So it was cold. I've never been so cold in an airport before. And we were walking around and there was just maybe a handful of people, a handful of staff, um, people in full hazmat suits. And it was just absolutely, because everything was closed. There were no coffee places open, you know, all the, all the currency exchange, restaurants, everything was shut. Um, we had to wait for a little bit because the flight was delayed. And so we uh, we were waiting and there was a group of um, employees who I suppose were being either let go or um, furloughed or told that they had to go home basically. And I, I'm assuming it's sort of some sort of union rep or somebody was over there sort of breaking the news to them. And it was it was horrible and people got really angry and really irate and everyone was talking with a raised voice. So, I mean, you can't... You don't want to eavesdrop, but there's no other sound to listen to because there's nobody there. So, of course, you're you're having to overhear it. And it was really horrible. Um, and it was just a very, very strange time to be in an airport. And then, you know, for my mum to then have to fly back with Libby and just thinking, oh, my God, please let this flight be empty. Please don't let it be sat right next to someone. Um, you know, and putting your plane, your pet on a plane is a stressful time anyway, because um, she didn't fit under the seat. She has to go in with the luggage. So, you know, you hear all sorts of horror stories about people forgetting to turn on the heat or the lights and all the rest of it. So I was really I was really worried um, anyway. And to have this extra sort of stress on top. Um, but, you know, it all went well. Touch wood. You know, thank goodness everything went well, went straight forward. Um, and I traveled back up from on by train from from London to Edinburgh, which, again, you know, by, especially by the time we get up to sort of Newcastle, like past the sort of the, you know, the, the third waypoint, that's usually quite a buzzing, busy train. And it, there was just no one. It, it was a, a really, really odd time. So that was a Saturday. Um, I got back late Saturday night, um, had a bit of a rest on sort of recovered from all the travel on, on Sunday. And then the Monday morning uh, or the Monday afternoon, Boris Johnson locked us all down. So, I mean, we talk about that. Like, we just squeaked through. Um, so yeah, it was a very it was a very bizarre time, very bizarre time to be travelling. But yeah, you're asking about my dog. Sorry, I don't know why. I went on. No, it's all right. Um, I've always thought that airports are like the strangest place. They like, are. They're, they're so odd. Um, I have been to Gatwick once and Heathrow once, and I can tell you that like yes, they are on the extreme end of the spectrum of yeah airport for sure. <laughs> They're extreme airport, yeah. They are. But airports in general, just they always strike me as a very strange thing because there are parts of them that are trying to like replicate ordinary non-transit life. Yeah. And they do it in a very transit-oriented way. And it, I don't know. I find it very off-putting. It doesn't set me at ease traveling. I'm not the, like, the most uh, anxious traveler, should we say. I don't know what to say about it, really. But airports... Uh, they're just they're very odd experientially and and being there in a time of a pandemic must have been uh quite strange indeed bizarre i mean because usually they're like it's like international waters isn't it it's just i'm just thinking they're a free-for-all you want to drink at 1 p.m good do you want to drink at 1 a.m that's good too you can just do whatever you want it's you know like like time stands still when you're in an airport um 
Yeah, and I mean, especially from Glasgow Airport. So when I came back, when I flew back in um, the month later, Glasgow Airport is usually, you know, what it's got to like. It's such a buzzing, busy, you know, it's not it's not as big as the others, but it's a real sort of party vibe to it because, you know, it's Glasgow. Um, and every, I mean, everything was shut, everything. I, I, you know, walking through it, I think there was uh, a Boots open, which is sort of like a, a shopper's drug mart, I suppose. Somebody could just buy like maybe a sandwich and a packet of crisps. I mean, there was nothing. Um, all of the bars were closed, the restaurants, even the duty-free um, and they sort of had us diverted because they didn't want us to walk through the duty free, had us to, you know, diverted walking through, I guess, where the staff usually work. So you're sort of walking through, so it's just oh, bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Very much looking forward to a time when we can travel and just go to an airport and, you know, have a quote unquote normal-ish experience again. You seem uh, well-traveled. You mentioned uh, weekend trips to Sweden, the places in Europe. What's the most interesting place you've been? Do you know, I love I love Scandinavia. I really do. I think Copenhagen was just amazing. Um, but I think Stockholm was was incredible too. I loved I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the architecture and the layout. I love that it's a coastal, like I'm big, I like my ships, I like ships and maritime history, I just find so fascinating. So there's tons of that there. Um, yeah, there's an old Viking ship called the Vasa that um, basically it's sunk in the, it's sunk in the, in the Stockholm Harbour because they were building ships at the time. Um, and it was a lot of, sort of trial and error. They didn't really have any sort of engineering guidelines to go from. And so they made this massive ship, all wooden, um, you know, beautifully carved and detailed. Um, and the masts were literally just trees that they chopped down, just full trees, took, took all the branches off, just stuck them in like that. That was, you know, how they created it. And they made it top heavy, basically. They made it too high. And so, and it was such a sad story. You know, everybody came out, like all of Stockholm came out to to watch this thing being launched, had all these people on it, and it just got out as far as the harbour and all it took was just one wave to kind of get into the gunports, into the side, and the whole thing just listed and just flipped. And just, just I mean, it's it's sad, obviously, but it is a bit sort of shocking if you just think that everyone just getting out so excited and all it took was just this one little gust of wind and this entire thing comes down. Um, but because it sank in the harbour and it sank in kind of a brine where the, the seawater is, um, so it's been impeccably, impeccably preserved. So when they were able to pull it out and recover it all these you know, years later, um, artifacts were, were still on board, remnants people's, you know, I mean, cause, because when it uh, fell to the side, the gunships kind of rolled as well. So it attracted quite a, you know, a fair few people on it. Um, no lifeboats or anything in this, you know, you just sort of climbed to the highest point and jumped for it and that was it. Um, but all of that stuff was able, because it had been in this this particular type of briny, salty seawater, was was recovered and pulled up and is now on display. And it's just absolutely stunning. So and obviously when you go in, because it's um, reclaimed wood and, and uh, parts of it, I think, have been reconstructed just in order to be able to get it to to hold up. Um, you know, you go in, the the lights are all up, they're very dark, it's a very dim light. It's um, They've got all of the... Uh, artifacts and clothings and things of and, you know bones of people that they found all laid out really um, really respectfully because they're sort of you know we've still got living people have still got living relatives in this part of the uh, part of the country you know they were very respectful about it but just walking around and kind of seeing learning about the maritime history and just you know just looking at 
such a cool ship like it was just amazing but you know then you've got you go 15 minutes from that near at the abba museum best 20 pounds i've ever spent in my life the most fun i've ever had i think possibly in a museum um the, the food is great food's really interesting um like i say the like the architecture just even walking around um great nightlife very expensive um but yeah i just i like and i like the way of life as well i like that i think the the Swedes and the, the Scandies and the yeah, they're they're onto something, aren't they, with the way that they live their life and their sort of their balance of work life and personal and so I, think, I can't remember who's the voted sort of the happiest people in the world, but I'm sure it must be must be the Danes or somewhere somewhere close because they're they're very well known for having this sort of great work life balance and um yeah, I'd love to see I'd love to see more of Sweden. I'd like to see um yeah, more of that whole part of the world. Definitely, I think it is. I don't. I don't know why it just sort of holds a special place. Maybe because it's so close to Scotland in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's something special about Scandinavia. Scandinavia is definitely right at the top of my travel list. Uh, yeah. As somebody who really enjoys the Germanic regions of the world, um, <laughs> and who enjoyed Iceland as well, I think a, a combination of those two things is rather ideal. I, I do like that extreme. Uh, sort of topography that you see in the northern regions of of the world uh certainly in scotland that has some of it as well with the uh the highland uh yes. regions yeah I, I i do quite like that i'm i'm quite bored of again spending my entire life in london which has not yeah. a mountain in sight um <laughs> I, i'd like some some change in my my skyline yeah definitely I think that's, yeah, that's the other thing as well, you know, going from Sweden, if you want to go to France or Germany or Spain or anything in, in your weekend, it's it's so different in each place. I mean, not not always, some of them are quite similar, but you can just get to completely different um, cultures and regions and environments very, very quickly, which I think is something that I'm really dearly going to miss, um, you know, living living on this side of the pond, that's for sure. In a time like this, it's all about the VPN. You got to get that VPN and access different channels. So I know it's so sad, but I actually really do miss British television. Um, so I've been, yeah, I've been using a VPN at home um, to try and get my Channel Four and my ITV. So that I can, I can't get BBC iPlayer, which I'm really annoyed about because there's been a couple of shows on this. There's one called Normal People. And there's one called I May Destroy You. And both uh, have just become like phenomenons. Like everybody's watching them. You know, people have been, they just took, took the UK by storm and everybody's been watching them. And I was just like, oh, I can't get, I can't get, that's the one streaming service apparently that really knows when you're using it and will block it. And when you say, so I can't get it that way. Um, a couple of them, I think, are available on Hulu. Hulu apparently can only get in America. So I'm just like, well, what am I supposed to do? So I think I'm actually going to have to try and, have a viewing party so what we did for the Eurovision Song Contest because that for me is like just a, a calendar year highlight cannot stress enough how much I enjoy Eurovision um we so we all do it together as a group do you know what it is do you know what Eurovision is oh yes I know what Eurovision is yeah <laughs> I just wanted to make sure um yeah so we all we all get you know you come dressed as a country you'll pick a country each year um, this year it was obviously the, just the country that we had last year because none of us could get any new costumes because of lockdown. So you come as a, your country and then if when we were getting together, you used to bring food and drink from your country. Um, we'd have a list of rules, um, you know, drink when somebody uses dry ice or you have to drink when there's a key change or like all these different things. Um, so it does end up being quite, quite, the, quite the Saturday night. Um, 
why was I telling you this? Where was I going with Eurovision? Oh, just because we couldn't watch it. Yeah, because of the iPlayer. Um, yeah, so what we did this year was somebody, we had a Zoom call, someone shared their screen, logged on to BBC iPlayer and played it through, and I, so I was watching it through Zoom, through iPlayer, you know, all these different, all these different sort of layers of how to access it. Um, but that was the only way that we could think that everybody could get to watch it. So yeah, it was a very, it was a very strange way to, you know, very different to obviously what we're used to, but it was in some ways it was really still very nice that we were all able to to watch. And of course, you know, there was no new performances or anything like that. It was a lot of pre-recorded things and it was all, you know, it was, still, it was quite early on, I think, into the, when the UK was still in full lockdown. So um, again, quite a strange way to experience it, but yeah, you, you've got to get the BBC coverage for it because Graham Norton's just absolutely priceless. He does the, the voiceover for it. Um, yeah, so I think definitely, there, but there's a lot of good stuff on Netflix. There's, I'm trying to think of a couple that I've watched um, that are foreign language. And then Channel 4's got a whole section um, called Walter Presents. And he basically is a guy who finds the best dramas and European dramas. And a lot of them can be quite gritty. And you know, don't think you're going to be watching a show about um, like a French, you know, French police murder, like murder show, but some of them are so good. There was one I watched many, many moons ago I feel like it was Dutch possibly, um, about an outbreak, about a pandemic, where they locked people into the city. Basically, if you yeah, they they, they shut down the city and they they locked everyone in using shipping container crates. And it sort of focused on a couple of cops and a couple of their girlfriends who got split up. And, you know, of course, you know, I'm always in these things, there's like the the moral code and who's gonna start looting and who's gonna start doing this. And, you know, it, I think it was one of these, it was possibly airborne, it was an airborne virus or something. I'm like, God, I, you know, you watch that years ago and thinking, this is great drama. And then you wake up one day and like, I, we're in the drama. <laughs> this, is, this is happening. So, yeah, there's, I'll have to try, I'll have to um, have a think and try and see if I can remember some of the names of them. But yeah, there's a lot of good international content. And yeah, like you say, for as much of the, the, the shared stuff that we watch, I think there is so much, it's just knowing where and how to find it. One of the major differences between content produced um, in the US and Canada and content produced in the UK is the style of comedy Big. that you see. Big time, yeah. Because there's a lot of sketch comedy here. There's a lot of like, like Saturday Night Live and, and some of the, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the Canadian show that had a lot of um, sort of the big names on it at one point. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, there's a lot of sketch comedy here um whereas the uk is very much more a stand-up sort of scene um and we've got panel shows which i don't think and i haven't really we seen don't, we don't yeah. have that here no yeah so for anyone who's listening who doesn't know it's a um basically you just have a panel you've got two people either side um you know two teams of three usually and a moderator in the middle and they're usually um uh, a lot of them are sort of current affairs and and news cycle based um and some of them are just some of them are just an excuse to get comedians together and watch them just muck around um but yeah i think and i think when you have seven incredibly funny people in you know in a room you can get some real you know some real price like some absolutely priceless moments um so like mock the week i really enjoy mock the week um eight out of ten cats i really like as well qi that's, that's not really a com like comedy but it's done with comedians um Eight out of ten casters countdown, a variation on a on an old classic. Um, the Mash Report is it? 
I have to remember what it's called. I think it might be called the Mash Report. Again, um, or Have I Got News For You is one of the oldest ones that's been going. A lot of sort of topical stuff. And I mean, the UK, what's happened in the UK and Europe over the past few years, like I said to you earlier, I mean, I haven't voted as much in my life before ever than when I was there. You know, having these referendums, having all these changes in party leadership, having, you know, some really bizarre sort of characters emerging, you know, in the political scene, um, you know, a lot of that really has great, great comedy. I mean, what comedians would be doing without Brexit, I don't know, because they've just been able to dine out on it for years now. Um, but you do get um, a real sort of sort of shared sense of commonality because it's a very small island, but so, so many people on it. You know, we're all going through the same things together. And I feel like the, there's a sort of common ground that comedians can really feed off. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of this. Once you start to get to know them, it's a lot of the same people popping up on a lot of the same different shows. And um, like I said, coming up to the fringe, you get then get a chance to go and see them sort of in their natural habitat. And often they'll trial stuff at the fringe or in Edinburgh, you know, just in a sort of, um, you know, different environment before they take it on tour or before they finesse it to take it on TV. So you get to see, I saw Tom Stade, I think he's a Canadian stand-up living in Edinburgh. Um, and I saw, I have to remember his name, his name escapes at the minute, but uh, yeah, there's a couple of uh, famous ones who basically, we were there for an amateur night and they just walked out and we were like, oh my God, it's so and so, like what? And they were like, "Yeah, we're just, just I know it's amateur tonight, but you know that's for newcomers. This is for new material. Like we're old hands at new material." And they just came up and just stood with a clipboard and just rattled jokes off and made notes just about how we responded and how we reacted. We were sort of like the test audience guinea pig for material that's then going to be changed, you know, turned into you know a television bit or a stadium tour, and the stadium tour becomes a DVD. You know, it's so it's it's quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I get exactly what you mean. I think there is a massive type of uh, a massive difference in the type of comedy, but also just sort of from a cultural perspective, you know, the banter between, you know, the way that you can banter with people and things that you can and can't say. And yeah, I think that that's quite different as well. Yeah, I think we miss out on that here. There's a real opportunity for banter in our lives and we, we just don't take advantage of it. I know, you've got to have a bounce. It's all about the bounce. <laughs> Okay, so I have this kind of skewed view of of uh, what is English cuisine, like toad in the hole, things like this, right? Yes. It's very bangers and mash, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but I know a, a big uh, cultural favorite of the English kind of like uh, post-bar food is a, is a good curry yeah. uh, or something like that. Can you curry tell is me? Curry yeah. is the, the UK's national dish. I think it's hilarious. Uh, can you tell me uh, what your favorite kind of cuisine or, or dish is? Yeah, I mean, so I'm a vegetarian, which I get a lot of stick for here. Um, really? Think, yeah, yeah, big time. I think the UK is a lot more advanced in terms of meat-free food. Well, I mean, it, it is. Um, you know, I remember going over there and just being overwhelmed by how much choice there was, specific brands. Um, and we're not just talking in the in supermarkets, even fast food chains and, and pubs and everything. It's I think Linda McCartney, um, uh, wife of obviously Sir Paul, and many many moons ago uh, was a big proponent of meat free and vegetarian, and created her own line of food and, and really helped kind of kickstart that movement, I suppose, and push it forward. So it's not that big a deal there. If someone goes to veggie, you're like, oh, all right, do you want this instead? You're just like, yeah. Whereas I've said, if I'm vegetarian, people here are like, oh my god, how do you do it? Why do you do it? 
oh, you know, can't can't go out with somebody who's vegetarian. Don't you know? People people get really funny about it. Not everybody, um, but yeah, I think there's quite a lot of meat meat culture. There isn't you know big you know barbecues and roasters and spits and a lot of these sort of food truck shows as well. I think really kind of fuel that. Which you know it's fine if that's what you're into. It's just not not for me. Um, yeah, so I do love I do love Indian food. I can't get away from that. I know that's a really stereotypically British thing to say. Um, yeah, and then obviously a lot of Italian food's incredible as well. And and uh, yeah, I've got Italian in my dad's side of the family, so I've kind of grown up with that. In terms of like British British foods, I mean a Sunday roast. You can't go wrong with a Sunday roast, can you? Really? No. Do a mushroom Wellington instead of the the beef, and just have, yeah, crispy potatoes a nice hot gravy nice glass of red sunday roast is like a staple isn't it especially in the autumn time i like it and you know over the, over the colder months but yeah love it love a good roast and uh, a good chippy after a night out fair enough <laughs> curry, curry sauce on chips after a night out sort oh, you right that just sounds amazing it's so good <laughs> so good saved me many a time <laughs> um what are you most looking forward to uh, once the COVID whole saga is over? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because at the beginning of the year, I feel like there was, at least for me and sort of our group of friends, because we were all hearing about this sort of 14 day incubation period. I think we we're all just a bit, all right, well, we'll just shut down for a couple of weeks and sort it out. You know, back, we'll be back at work. And I think now we're kind of realizing actually this is going to be a longer, a longer thing. Um, but like I said, so I made this list. It, so it's like a bucket list. I use a, a ruder word that rhymes with bucket. Um, but it's a, a bucket list. And then you, the idea is you get up one day and just go, I'm going to do this thing that's on the list. So I've made a bunch of different things. I'm showing you, I know it won't show up on the podcast, obviously, but I've made a bunch of things. And some of them are big things like zipline over Niagara Falls or snorkel the shipwrecks at Tobermory. Um, look at the talk about Scandinavia. Forest bathe in the Scandinavian spas of Blue Mountain. That's 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 on the list. Um, you know, some of them bigger things, and then some of them are smaller things like um, taking the sunset from a marina or watch a drive-in movie. I've got eat poutine in all capital letters. Um, drink whiskey at the Caledonian pub. Uh, visit the Sandbanks National Park. Visit an English pub. <laughs> two pubs um go to the beach that's a, a doable one do some yoga in the park visit a boutique on queen street you notice i say visit not necessarily buying <laughs> um take myself on a date to the movies uh try a new yoga studio so i've just made some of them vary from bigger you know big weekend things big plan things to just life's little pleasures um so yeah, if anyone's got any suggestions for anything that I should add to the list, please send me a Slack or an email and tell me what I should be doing. We can do it together even. We can go We can go get an ice cream or a, a margarita somewhere. I definitely want to get out and see, um, like I said, everything that's, that, that Toronto's got to offer for sure. I want to thank you so much for your time. I think oh, this a- will be a, a great introduction to you. <laughs> oh it's gonna go one of two ways isn't it people say, oh my god that's annoying british chick no <laughs> it's gonna be great it's gonna be great <laughs> oh well thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun
This show is executive produced by yours truly, with support from the Work From Home Committee. I want to give a big thanks to Jemima for coming on the show this week, and I hope that our conversation has served as a good way for you to get to know her. Thanks for listening.